for all audiences. Welcome to the South Burbs Hitmen Podcast with your hosts, Joe Mandel, Stephen Zim Zimmerman, and Vinny Parisi. We're bringing you the White Sox coverage you need from the perspective of true Southsiders. Grab your Comiskey dog with an ice cold beer and meet us in section 155. Everyone get on your feet for your South Burbs Hitmen. That ball hit deep. Way back. You can put it on the board. Yes. Jimenez in the air. Left field. He's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. Over the head of Jenks. Uribe charges throws. Out. And the White Sox have won the World Series. Alexei. Yes. Yes! 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 History! A perfect game by Mark Burley! And what an unbelievable, unbelievable play by 25! First pitch starts now! That is crazy how much I look like Joe Mandel. <laughs> you guys are muted. That um, is so funny. I am not Joe. I am filling in for Joe, who's on vacation, right, guys? He's he's taking some time off. He is in New York. Look at that. I think his wife won some award or something like that, and he's uh, he's going to be there uh, to help celebrate and enjoy the Big Apple. Hopefully, he comes back <laughs> without any bullet holes. <laughs> So I far, so I mean. good. He yeah. sent us a picture of him eating at John's on Bleecker. Unreal <laughs> pizza in New York City. Like, there's a line out the door every single time you go. I, I'm like, you really had to send me that right now? Like, I'm eating trash today, and you're that's, eating John's on Bleecker. That'd be a record. It's been less than five minutes, and we're already on food. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's not even here. That's right. I got to tell you, I love New York pizza. I mean, I was born in New York. And so the first pizza I ever had was at the newsstand underneath the elevated train. Well, probably when I was four years old and loved it. Now, Chicago pizza is great, too. But uh, people who disparage New York pizza, I don't get it. It's very, very delicious. I agree. There's plenty of good pizza to go around. There's a day for Detroit style. There's a day for Chicago style tavern or deep dish. There's a day for a New York slice. There's seven days in a week for a reason, fellas. Look at Joe. He says he's eating that pizza right now. <laughs> That's amazing. That's what you like to see. Well, uh, we've got a very special guest. We're going to talk a lot of White Sox. We're going to talk some with him. And uh, we're also going to talk about his new podcast series. And then after we're done with uh, our guests, we will then finish up with more White Sox talk and maybe even squeezing some Chicago Bears talk uh, because the media will be there tomorrow and we'll start getting lots of reports as to what's happening over at Hallis Hall. Let's bring in the man of the hour. Mike Nurse, how are you, my friend? <laughs> there they are, the boys. What's going on, Els? Hey, Zim. What's going on, Vinny? It's good hey. to see you guys. It's about time. I, 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 every time the phone rings, is that Vinny? that's hilarious mike uh i you know we're going to talk about raging mouth sure. here in a few minutes but first of all i want to ask you about your 
love of the White Sox because, as I learned when we were been working on Raging Mouth together, yeah. is you started to become a White Sox fan before probably any Chicago sports team, right? Yeah, that's it, Eld. I mean, you know, the White Sox and I have a what's that called? It's not a love hate relationship. I love the White Sox. I, you know, I just don't love the direction it goes most of the time, not just some of the time. And, you know, it, it, and this recent uh, debacle is no different than what I've seen from 1969, 70, the Eddie Stanky years. I think the fun of working with you is we're around the same age, yeah. you know, where we got a lot of the same reference points where uh, Vinny and Zim are, low, are younger, of course. And so I've seen it all. But uh, like I've said, I've never seen the over-evaluation of talent that I saw these last four years uh, thinking that this team was just going to run over. I'm watching. I was watching a Texas game before I came down here. I mean, there's no way he, the White Sox, this team that was evaluated to run baseball for the next five years or the American league. They're nowhere close to Houston or Texas, nowhere. They're on a mission. These teams, you know, I mean, that's where you look at what the heck happened. And I tried to warn everybody, as you know, when we started the bar room four years ago, some of the gentlemen are in this room right now as we speak. <laughs> I tried to warn everybody. I thought we started just working together when they did the Grandel signing, and I was livid. Why would you spend $70 million on a catcher that's had two number one spots somewhere else and couldn't hold on to them? And you just see things like Clevenger signing for $12 million, you know? You just see the same type of ball player, Vaughn, uh, you know, uh, Eloy. Uh, they're telling him he's got to play now. I mean, that the fact is he's been babying himself. That's what it sounds like to me. And when the manager says, hey, I don't care if you got to pull the groin or not, you're going out there. There's a disconnect somewhere. The organization is in disarray right now. But for me, it's business as usual. I've been critical of the White Sox. And, you know, even on where I work now at on my other job, uh, God bless them. I mean, that's the flagship station. But it's not been an easy year. I mean, nobody saw this coming. I didn't even see this coming. I knew it wasn't going to work. But 19 under, come on. Go ahead, Vinny. I know you you, you want to cry a little, moan a little, groan a little. <laughs> well, you know I'm going to cry. You know I'm going to moan. Yeah. You know I'm going to scream. I do it every week. You guys all you guys all follow me on Twitter. Um, Mike, were you ever like me though with this oh. current rebuild? I'm not talking. I'm not talking when you were a kid or in your no. 20s or anything like that. I'm no. talking with this rebuild. Did you ever believe in it no. for a second? You know, I was I was all in. I was like, oh, I was Robert. mad. And you know what, Vinny? That's the first thing I like about you among many. You're willing to admit it. There's 80 percent of the fan base in this town, 85 percent of the media. Okay. That's never right. And they all have their cush jobs and they're all going to treat these teams with respect. There should be headlines every day about people getting fired from these organizations and you can't find it. And so I never believed in it. I'll never forget Eldo and I were doing a show, a barroom show. And Eldo goes, oh, now, He's no big shakes that I'm going to talk about now, this guy. But I watched him the other night. He got a big hit in a situation. He's been injured. But I will never forget the day. And Eldo and I had just started, I think, if I'm not mistaken, or we 
So we we're just getting to know each other. And Aldo told me that the 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 Sox had signed Grandel. And I said, why would they do that? We have a two-time All-Star right there. Now, he may not be working out somewhere else. We go, although McCann got a couple big hits the other night, different place, things happen. But for the White Sox, he was right. And that pitching staff was good with them. Giolito was good. And I knew there was a problem right there. Why would you replace an All-Star? Okay, why wouldn't you spend that money somewhere else? And I just, from there on, even the sales stuff. Oh, we're going to go get prospects. I'm going, oh, my God. For Chris Sale, you got to get a couple really big studs. You got to get some players. Instead, you got Mankata, who I knew from the beginning. Eldo's my witness. I don't need tape, but we could find it. What are we doing here? Why? And they went on to win the World Series. And for the White Sox, it's been spiraling number six. But when you have lifetime jobs in certain positions, how much pressure is it on you to, to perform? Zim, you got, what do you got? No, I mean, that's exactly where I was going to go with it is, yeah. is these guys seem like lifers in these positions. And is, is it going to take Jerry selling the team or, or kicking the bucket for this to finally change? Wow. What do you think, Mike? You've been around, like you said, a lot longer than Vinny and I have been. You think that's what it's going to take in order to finally you know see some significant change? I used to have Zim. I used to have, uh, I've told Eldo this. I've had lunch, breakfast with Ryan Sor four or five times. I've told him what he needed to do. And I told him this years ago, and it's all come to fruition. And he wouldn't do it. And this loyal, beyond the fault, you want to be loyal? Invite him to your house once a week. Invite him to your house once a week. It's a, a business. And they have this. There's just so many different things about the deal I don't like. If I was governor of the state, I'd relook at the White Sox deal with their stadium authority. Where if they draw under $2.5 or something, they get their rent free. But if they draw over that, then they don't. Then they got to pay some. Well, no wonder they're averaging 20,000 in attendance. I mean, my God, 20,000 guys at home. Think about that. Think about that. The Cubs, they don't play the rebuild game. We'll go get some guys and hope it works out. 33,000. I mean, seriously, that's, that's a fan base that... Basically, I mean, I felt bad for you guys, Vinny. I felt bad for the all the Sox podcasts. There's thousands of them, you know? They're all over the place. I'm going, wow. Besides the Titanic, I can't think of anything right now that would have you, you know, fearing for your safety than having a Sox podcast. I mean, because <laughs> it's got to be, I mean, it's got to be brutal right now to try to just think of something positive about the situation because there's not much. This is a picture of Mike yeah. uh, and Jerry. Uh, is, what were you guys doing there other than, you know, pretending you like each other? <laughs> yeah, that's what it is, too. <laughs> you know, we have that, that relationship, though. I think most of the guys that were his antagonists either left town, kicked out of town or whatever. I'm still around, so he just said forget about it. But we're, we have a good time when we're together. I ran into him. I was with, if you look in the background there to the left, Mm -hmm. BB's over there, Dave Kerner, Jesse Rogers, some of the guys that helped me with uh, when I was at the score, I decided to get the Freddie Hubner, Ron Gleason. We were there that night, and Jerry was there. And uh, we got together, and we took a picture. So 
that's it. We've had some fun together, but I don't want him to die, and he's not going to sell the team, so I don't know what's going to happen. And there's no pressure from the media, none. No, the there's none at all. To put the pressure on the media, no. on, on him, are gone or out of the picture. No, and they don't give me press credentials, and they don't give you know the right people. Right. I, I would love to go in there and report oh. tomorrow. You you know I flipped in oh. the last year, Mike. I want to ask you this: You have dinner with Jerry Reinsdorf tomorrow. Right. Now you have him with you have dinner with Jerry tomorrow, and he says, "You know what, Mike? I should have listened to you all those right. years ago. Yeah. I want your opinion now. What should I do? What would you tell him?" Well, you got to remember everything that I said for four years. Okay, was was beat up, I was beat up for it. Whether it be Tony LaRussa, which I knew was when we got rid of him and we got this guy, I go, my God, where are we going? You got a team like the Royals that had him and didn't want him as the manager. So I tell him you gotta break it all up. Well but then again, you know, that wouldn't be the first time he's heard that from not only from from a lot of people. But he's his own man. He's got it. It's his business. He set it up. Uh, the, it, 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 he makes money for his partners. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Mike, Mike, you told me once that he, through uh, Jack McDowell, said that he, yeah. he's playing for second place because he doesn't well, want to pay a championship salary to a team. According, well, I mean, according to Jack McDowell, okay, and it's like, and it's been publicized. If you look it up, Jerry said, dangle the carrot in front of him. And uh, that's what it looks like. But it's worse than that. Nobody wants to go. I mean, if I want to go to White Sox game, it's an all-day thing. I just talked to somebody earlier that goes to the White Sox game. He said he went the other night. He goes to three a year. They're, they're got him running around with his car, uh, parking in different places. It's just hard to get in, hard to get out. It's a bad situation right now. And that's with the, but that was, he said he went opening day and it was a nightmare and it shouldn't be, you know, but, but it's just right now there's a malaise. There's a lot of lifetime deals over there going on. There's a lot of guys that there's no accountability and, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. I've told it like it is forever. I think that's why I'm still around because there's not many doing it. Yeah, there yeah. isn't. And, you know, um, I think, you know, one of the things I respect about you so much, Mike, is that you're a fan. You want the White Sox and the oh, Bears hey. to win, but you are a prove it to me first. I am That's not right. going to invest my heart, 100% of my heart, into the team until you prove that you're going to spend, that you're going to make good decisions, that this isn't going to be the laughing stock of the city. And, I and love the Right White now, Sox. the Sox could be the laughing stock of the MLB. They're playing so poorly. You know what I heard earlier, guys? Let's go to the other side real quick. I'm watching this Major League Network, this Ruben Amaro Jr. guy. No wonder he's out of work. He he wants to put – he says Strowman's the hot item right now to get traded. And if you're the Cubs right now, my God, you're not – if you look at Milwaukee and Cincinnati, they can be caught. They only got, like, in the loss column a few games. And you got – I'm hearing this. Why do, do Chicago teams break up everything and rebuild? You got Cody damn Bellinger? Sign his ass. Mm -hmm. Are you out of your mind? You are the Chicago God-blessed Cubs. You are the Cubs. You make millions, billions. You got a sports book. You get to keep that money. Mm -hmm. Yep. My God. I mean, that, has... that, that, I cannot believe the nonsense. Bellinger, you build a team around Bellinger. 
You don't you don't get rid of him for prospects. We did that on the South Side. How's that working? You got Swanson, who is free. And would have been brought 70. Instead of challenging, at least. Oh, let's get some prospects for Sano. Let's get rid of some prospects now. Because we're never going to win with this team. Can't we keep a team for four years and see how they do? Oh, Cubs are six back. Let's get rid of Bellinger. Are you kidding me? The guy's back in form. Sign the guy. What is with everybody? And the White Sox do the same thing. What are we going to do? Rebuild the White Sox again? I told Eldo the other day, Vinny. Vinny, I hire you to build my house. I go into the house. My foot goes through the floor. I don't go get Vinny. <laughs> Zim's turn. <laughs> yeah, Zim's Vinny. turn for the floor. I turn uh, Vinny's brother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> I go to turn on the, the boiler. It don't work. Who put it in? Zim. Oh, uh, you do you want do you want somebody to fix it? Yeah, let's get Zim. No. <laughs> so that's what we do. We broke it, we'll fix it. We broke it, we'll fix it. We broke it. The same group. Yep. So I don't believe in anything. Um, Mike, with the trade deadline uh, coming upon us, I of course remembered the the famous Chicago White Sox white flag trade, which yeah. has its own Wikipedia page. I mean, how many trades have their own Wikipedia page? And for you yeah. young bloods that don't remember or don't know, aren't, aren't aware, or weren't alive. Oh, I was <laughs> on was, the air. Yeah, you were on the. I, it's like it was yesterday. Yeah, I remember you. I being mean, on the I air mean, my God, it. it was like let's put up the white flag. <laughs> Wilson Alvarez, Danny Darren, and Roberto Hernandez. I remember. And we got folk, Howie, you know, Barcelo, Bining, and Caruso was good for a year or two. We were supposed to, uh, we gave up after we were, we weren't back. I think we're back three, four, five games or something. Three and a half games we were back. That's why I I remember calling. Uh, one of the stations and complaining about it because it infuriated well, you didn't call, me. You, didn't, you called the score at that time. I, I, it There's must have been the score, but I remember it being at well, night. You called what, WGN? Come on. <laughs> you called, huh? I remember it being at night. Were you guys in 97? Oh, night, guys... at night where you were always... I probably called the grabber. <laughs> it was the, the grabber. grabber. <laughs> Russ Grobstein, indeed. That was 1997, three and a half games out. They yeah. made this trade, and this is right before the trade deadline. So you're talking for the rest of the season, it, it they have brutal. told fans, eh, don't worry, we're, we're not going to go for it this year. Why would we get rid of Strowman? He wants to play here. Yeah, He wants – I could see – I've had – We've seen ball players that want a player. I want a player. Well, you're hitting 210. You know, I just watched the Brayu before I came down. He was kicking the ball all over the field. He's got like a couple balls, but he's starting to hit. He's hitting like 250. But, but you know, okay, maybe it was time for him to go. He's still got 50 RBIs, which would probably leave the White Sox right now. I don't know. Yeah. Bottom line is every time we're ready to pay somebody, we move them. Like Burley. I remember them saying, Burley's done. I'm going, wait a minute. The guy, Burley's done. Does he have a sore arm or anything? No. He goes to Toronto for four years and, and wins 45 games, and the rest of the games he eats up six, seven innings. You know, we, every time it's time for us to pay on the south side, something happens. Abreu is gone. How do you rebuild and then trade one of your main pieces or let one of your main pieces go? So it's all just a big – everything's a charade, man. Do you, really think, do you think three straight rebuilds working in the mid-2010s like 
ruined baseball. Because the, the Royals, the Cubs, and the Astros did exactly what the White Sox did. Yeah, but, but then when it was right. to, but then when it was time to pay guys, though, they went out and got John Lester. The Astros traded for Garrett Cole. The um the Royals signed what's his name Hosmer. I you know they, they supplemented it the right way. The White Sox didn't do that, but. It makes me wonder if it ruined baseball for the next 10 years or so because every team just tries to rebuild. The Reds look like they, you know, are on the right track of doing it, but they could be the White Sox in two years, and it wouldn't shock me at the all. Reds, the, the Reds were, were come on the come four years ago, and they got rid of guys, and now, now yep. they're doing it again. And mm-hmm. those are small market teams, though, Vinny. They're not from the number two, number three market in baseball. The White Sox are run like a mom-power organization, and, 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 and they're a conglomerate. I mean – you know, they don't like to look at themselves. They're not pa, ma and pa. They're a corporate entity. And, you know, it's just it's just mind-boggling that what's happened to the team. And then you got Michael Reinsdorf, who I know, Mike, he's he's ready to step in. I know the one thing that Jerry Reinsdorf did always tell me. He said, between the two sports, Mike, if I had to sell one of the teams, if I had to not be involved with one of the sports, it would be baseball. He's... He, the free agency thing was out of hand. He's never like that. What mm-hmm. owner likes that kind of thing? I mean, really, the Cubs and Sox should be talking about whether you go for them or not, Otani. At least talk about it. The mm-hmm. Yankees are talking about it. Other teams are talking. Hello? The, the, the two leaders right now are the Baltimore Orioles and the Arizona Diamondbacks for Otani. That's the latest right. report. Well, you know, that's what they say. I don't think anybody's got an angle on on uh, who's going to be there. I really don't. If it's going to be Otani with the Yankees, or why aren't the Cubs in on it? You know, and maybe they will be. I do love the Cubs for what they did. They don't say we're going to rebuild again, and it's going to take four years, and everybody's going to be good and happy in those four years, and we'll wait for them to mature. It's going to be fun. And we'll see the minor league report. We'll see how Sheets is doing and Eloy. And then we'll jump up when Oscar Cola comes up and hits his 211. But really, 31 years of that. Forget 31 years. I mean, I'm I, I've been following I'm on my like 62nd year of the following the White Sox. And most of it hasn't been fun. Believe me. It, it really is sad. <laughs> you know, it, it's this this city deserves better. Their the oh, White the Sox Cubs fans are great. Cub fans are great. Well, I don't know if this rebuild's going to work. Well, work for the Cubs. I was involved in five rebuilds before that one worked. <laughs> he stopped Choi. Sorry. <laughs> he stopped Choi. Uh, oh, he's. We actually t- told Mark Grace to get lost so we could play he stop Choi. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we do the dumb. We put Carlton Fisk in left field. With, with, I remember, and the, the, Vinny, were you a La Russa guy that didn't like La Russa? Did you apologize yet? Did you throw it? Did you get a throw? You know, you need to go check your Twitter.com. I literally just did like oh, okay. two days ago. But I just, yeah. hey, and I no, early hey, in the season. Early in the season, too, I said Grafal was way – that took me, like, a week to figure out that he was <laughs> way worse than, yeah. you know, Tony. I, I tried to be optimistic, Mike. I really did. I tried to believe that, 
you know, you know, the, it worked with Alex Cora with Boston, right? I kept telling myself, Alex Cora, Alex Cora, Pedro Grafal, he's the next Alex Cora, bench coach that, you know, was on a world's a bench coach for a team that won the World Series and yeah. goes on and becomes a good manager. It just it hasn't happened. Tony well, all I'm gonna tell you is when yeah, you, yeah Grafal <laughs> was in the organization for a long time. That Larusa finished twenty games over five hundred will be looked on as a great feat in this town's history. Oh, oh it, 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 five years from now, with this group, with this group of cutthroats. I mean, these guys don't want to play. They want to throw their mitts on the field. I mean, I've never seen such guys that are. They seem gutless. Oh, I got a tweak here, a tweak there. It's not the Chicago type of baseball. It really isn't. We want we're blue collar people, you know. And I just don't. I don't see it with the White Sox team. They need an ass kicker. It's, That's what they need. It's a team full of Alshon Jeffries is what it is. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> well yeah, fun. he was another one. But I, all we've right. all had our weaknesses for the Bears. You know, we're different. You know who was my favorite Bear receiver? Marcus yeah. Robinson. I love Marcus oh. Robinson. Yeah. He was came a good with, guy, too. Came good out of guy. nowhere and uh, – and really Yeah, had played a, a couple uh, good seasons, man. Every yes, Bear did. plays a couple good seasons, then they move on. Exactly. Marty Booker. <laughs> Marty Booker at 100. Marty Booker. Nobody even talks about him. One of my favorites. Absolutely. All right, let's talk a little bit about Raging Mouth, the multi-part bio podcast on the life of Mike North, brought to us by Raul Jewelers in Hoffman Estates. We really thank Brad and Ryan Gantz and oh. the entire uh, family over there. It's a 41-year-old family-owned business, Raul Jewelers, and so we really appreciate them sponsoring uh, Raging Mike, Mike, Raging Mouth, the Mike North story and chapter two just dropped today oh. to give you a test to give you a taste of what chapter two contains it. Here it comes a quick preview. In chapter two, Mike reveals that his childhood struggles in school and his family led him to drink, focus on playing sports and drinking some more from the beginning, broken, bankrupt, morally drinking, driving drunk, stuff like that. But in his early 20s, things started to change, and it began when he met a woman named B.B. I see this girl coming, short skirt, long brown hair, down to her rear end. I go, that woman can't be for me. I mean, that's a 10 right there, forget about it. As she got closer, I go, wait a minute, it's her. B.B.'s support whenever Mike was down was critical to Mike's success. Straight-A student marries a dropout. I mean, think about that. She is the voice of reason. I mean, she's my uh, ace in the hole. Yeah. North. Mike, great job. Well, I got to tell you, I'm an embarrassed Aldo right now, guys, because, uh, uh, you know, when I first met Aldo, it was on Twitter, and he looks like, at the time, his picture looked like the guy that killed Scarface, Montana, from behind. I did. He had the sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. Remember? <laughs> yeah, with the, the, yeah, the wraparounds. And I said, I like this guy. <laughs> and we're the only one. But, but, but we got together, and uh, it's the second episode that's dropped. We got one first episodes on, of course, YouTube and, you know, uh, Spotify and North to North. And it tells the, the beginning. But the second episode, I didn't get a chance to talk to Aldo. It's unbelievable. It's about BB mostly. And it's just the way that he puts together his his work ethic and his uh, the way that they, there's music in, involved, there's sound effects. It just makes the listen. It's an audio, but it makes it a great listen. During half an hour, we're going to be doing it on the scored 
uh, in August. Mm-hmm. And then uh, two-parter there. It's going to be six episodes. But uh, Eldo, I got to tell you, I listened tonight uh, before I came on. And uh, it's a great story. And the way that he puts it together is what I envisioned. So, so far, so good. And uh, if anybody wants to just hear, a, a, I mean, people, Adam Rifkin's going to hopefully direct this. But, you know, me and and uh, Eldo and BB, we, you know, we might have different ideas down the line about how this thing is going to work out. When I started this project, thinking about it, there was no Netflix or anything. There was none of that stuff. And this is basically for the screenwriter to be written. For the, the, I didn't want to do writing uh, a screenplay. I let somebody else write it off what I'm saying on the podcast. So it's been great. It's it's rocky. Only it really happened. That's what it is. It's Sea Biscuit, only in human form. I was built to lose, and somehow, and I was thinking tonight, what am I going to talk about real quick? And I think my celebrity encounters back in the 90s, it will never happen like they did. I, I, I mean, I was in Las Vegas, and I sat, Frank Sinatra and I had drinks. I used to watch him on TV at my grandma's house or Don Rickles. I used to watch him on the tonight show. The next thing you know, I'm having dinner with him. Um, Warren Beatty, Billy Maravitz goes to me. Hey Mike, we're having a party at the house at Christie's house. And Warren Beatty's going to be there with Annette Benning. Next thing you know, I'm in a conversation for 45 minutes with Warren Beatty. The guy, when I was in eighth grade, I went to see Bonnie and Clyde. So, that's the cool stuff about the gig, but there's also the ups and downs, guys, and the highs and lows. But it's when radio was in its zenith. I know when sports radio was. That's for damn sure. I mean, I've been here for the whole thing. And it tells how the score got started. tells you how we dominated. I think in this, I told Eldo in the 90s, the Bulls were the number one franchise and the score was number two. There's no, we were listened to by everybody. So, Raging Mouth is a great piece of work that BB and Eldo have put together, and I've been uh, and they put my words into a type of music type of situation, a nice rhythm that I think it's not a boring bo- podcast. And I get bored by podcasts, and I know I get bored by me sometimes. I don't want to hear you show that. No one's never been bored of you. I'll tell you that. I'm bored of me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, that I, it's a great it's a great piece. I hope everybody listens. Absolutely, Mike. And I think one thing you deserve credit for is sharing the story. I don't think you get a lot of people who, you know, had the accomplishments or achievements that you do that come out later in life and tell the story to people who are interested that might have not been listening to whatever it was that they were involved in however many years ago. Like I certainly wasn't listening to the score when I was five years old, but now I get to go back and hear some of the stories from those days. And yeah. you the Tid Baldo put out today with Ozzy Gee, and I thought that was awesome. <laughs> you know, it was really cool. Aldo, so where did you find that Howard Stern cut? See, there was no Twitter at the time yeah exactly so if you if you made there was no social media when that happened if there was it would have exploded there you mike, go mike yeah, when he was at know. the yeah mike when he was at the score had a drop box yeah so he sent it to me he says hey there might be some stuff in here you can use i it's forgot gold, all about that it's a gold mine of stuff gold i know we got it we're, we're gonna have fun with that you i thought it was broken but the stern stuff 
was when you got on Stern's show at that time, and I'm not a Howard Stern fan. I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, but I liked him on E. I liked him when he had his E show. I didn't like, I, I listened to Steve Dahl, and Stern basically copied Steve Dahl. So I'm a Steve Dahl guy. I was friends with Steve Dahl, ended up with Steve. We were there when Jordan played with the White Sox. All these beautiful encounters with beautiful people. Bottom line is I haven't, you know, to be on ESPN now after everything and being one of the, you know, being a survivor, I've been very fortunate, but this episode's about my wife and Eldo knows this. If you know my wife, you know quality. Top shelf Cadillac, period. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. it she basically... My first twenty, the twenty years we were married, she just man, do what you do, what you got to do. You, she understood my career, she under, she understood all that, and she, top shelf Emmy winner. Aldo knows when she did the pot. That's her. Those pasta pasta shows. We got. We're gonna get those converted. We're gonna put them out. Aldo don't know this yet, but we're gonna do that because that's a gold mine. Bobby Heenan, Bob Probert, Earl Acker, uh, Earl Acker. Buckus, Sayers, Peyton, Chamberlain, Will Chamberlain. I mean, so we won two Emmys for that show. But the mainstream media didn't even want to, because of, because of their jealousy, believe it or not. Some didn't even want to promote it, even on CBS. It's an interesting story regarding Mike's life is that because he was a high school dropout, because he was a former hot dog stand, yep. owner, and he didn't go through all of the rituals of going to journalism. I didn't school. go to the fine school of uh, academia, Northwestern. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mike told me this funny story when he met Mike Greenberg, Greeny over at ESPN. They, they were both at, at at the score. Greeny started off as a field reporter at the score. And so yeah. Mike, he asked Mike, uh, he tells Mike, uh, I went to Northwestern University. And then you responded, I go, I'm a dropout. Mike, <laughs> go dropout. How about you? I went to Northwestern. <laughs> Greeny's one of the, Mike Greenberg's a good look. I think I got another. I worked at Fox for six years, and three years I did mornings in 220 markets against Greeny. So that's that's the hiring that they had at the score. Mike Greenberg, um, John Hood. These guys are still around. Freddie Hubner, Mike Murphy, uh, Jigs. You know, most of the guys are older now. And I mean, Terry Bores, not Jigs, but Terry Bores uh, is retired now. All great talents. All the, the whole crew. All great talents. Dan McNeil. All great talents. PZ says a, from uh, that sorry, was put together. Uh, PZ says from the Thorndale Salt Box to Chicago Sports Radio Legend. Congrats, North. Well, and Ravi has a question for you. Greeny, was he cool? Was he a good guy? Now he's wearing an Aaron Rodgers jersey, Greeny. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah, you, you talk about a guy that's going to be very disappointed. <laughs> oh, you think? Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Don't don't start, Vinny. Don't I, become the fan, please. Uh, hey, hey, hey! What do you you think please I'm? Don't do this yourself. You think I have allegiance to the New York freaking Jets? I'm stuck through. I know the you're Chicago a Jersey Bears. guy. I didn't. I, I know you probably like Joe Namath. Only in, in hockey. Only in All hockey. Right. Oh, I see. Well, 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 wait a minute. You're. Who's a New Jersey Devil fan? I there could be a stadium filled with people. I go, how many people like? And you'd be the one guy. 
Oh, yeah. You're right? But me. I understand. <laughs> me. You wear it proudly, and I... Oh, I, yeah. I, but all the guys were great. My story, it, the way that, that to talk Danny Lee into starting the sports station in literally 20 minutes, mm-hmm. where he went that weekend to buy the Tribune to see how many advertisements were in the jazz uh, entertainment section. And then he saw how many were, he goes, we're doing sports radio. And it, they're all music guys. I mean, think about it. You go into uh, Sony and the head guy goes, we're going to do some sports. And they're mm-hmm. going, wait, we're all music guys. You're going to listen to this goofy hot dog guy? He goes, yeah, I am. And that's how it all started. So it's great. Joe oh, interned with Jiggets uh, at Fox in co- when he was in college. Yeah. Dan's a that? great guy. Dan yeah. Jiggets is a great guy. One of the you nicest know, guys in the business. We, no we, 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 we hit a chord together. That's, uh, I think, it, 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 if we wanted to, if the money was right, we could come back tomorrow and, and get it done. But it, it's a different landscape now, guys. And you mm-hmm. can't talk about the teams like you used to. You can't. Because there were no teams. At the score, I was the dummy that told Reinsdorf he should come over. But that's the trend that was going in anyway, guys. The Mets and they were at WFAN, the Yankees. They've all been at these places. And when, you know, the, Michael Kay is the announcer of the Yankees and he has a show, how <laughs> critical is he going to be of the New York Yankees? Seriously. Mm-hmm. He isn't mm-hmm. going to be. Period. Yeah. Mike, anything else about Raging Mouth you'd like us to know uh, before we get you There's out of five, here? five, six episodes. Eldo's got bonus episodes like the Stern Ozzy thing. Loved it. He's got a trough of stuff. He is absolutely a genius at what he does with this podcast stuff. He's the pod father. He is. He's I the pod father. Guy <laughs> sacrifices. Now he's getting paid handsomely for this, but let me tell you. <laughs> no, yeah, there, there is that. <laughs> he deserves it. I work he a little harder it. when I'm being paid. <laughs> I mean, so you're not doing it for nothing. I mean, he deserves it though. There's some Thank guys you, you pay. And you, well, what happened? What happened? And Aldo, there's no doubt it's going to keep. Uh, he'll be in Mobile for the Senior Bowl next year with with Danny. <laughs> By the way, Dan Aguirre. Uh-huh. Does a great job with the narration. Yes, he does. He and is, Aldo uh, does a great job with his narration. I'm happy with the whole project. I'm a happy guy. Zim, you seem happy. You know, for now. <laughs> what about me? Zim just gets, Zim's like, um, <laughs> I was watching the Big Lebowski the other night. Zim's like uh, Steve Buscemi over there. He's, hey, phone's <laughs> ringing, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, uh, really, I love Steve Buscemi. So, I mean, oh, yeah, he's one of the best. They're a great aunt. Dad is a great. Uh, those three guys, that's acting at its finest, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And horrible bosses, too, with those guys. <laughs> Jason, yes, Jason, I... Jason Day, and they, those guys are good, too. Yeah. Lewis says that uh, his favorite segment uh, with Jiggins was at Hooters for the radio remote. Jiggs used is... to have a ma- Jiggs would have uh, a magazine mm-hmm. wrapped with tape. He'd go, oh, and he'd, hit the ta- and he'd hit the table. I mean, and when Jigs hit the table, he hit the table. <laughs> He's a big man. Uh, Joe is uh, already Joe, looking forward you for to the barroom. Thank you for letting me on with, this, with your, 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 your thing here, your, your, your podcast. Appreciate Joe is the man. He is Absolutely. The man. 
Uh, Mike, uh, thank you very much for. We're forty minutes past your bedtime. Get, get to bed. Drink your warm milk. And I get to bed. I got dizzy. I thought I saw something, but there was, was nothing. I just, you know, my peripheral vision. <laughs> All right, guys. It's a All pleasure. Right. You guys, yeah. hey, nice to see you, Steve, Zim, Benny, Eldo. Talk. Take care, guys. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. See you All right, guys. Love you. All righty. That is Mike North, the amazing Mike North. Uh, so, uh, you know, I got to tell you guys, um, there are hundreds of hours and, and images to cull through and doing a lot of talking with Mike and BB North about his life story. It really is an incredible story. And I know that one of the reasons he wanted desperately to uh, do this podcast series is not only for his legacy, but also there was a lot of interest in making his story into a Hollywood movie. And then the pandemic hit and then all of a sudden investors, you know, scattered all over the place. And so we're almost starting over. And so my work on it is to try to make it feel a little cinematic, which is why I've done wall-to-wall music. I've added some sound effects and so forth. But more importantly, it really is the story. Here's a guy who grew up in Chicago's North Side and had all sorts of challenges. You know, and I can relate to that as a guy who had a, a number of challenges too. His challenges had to do with he just couldn't focus in school. He he could not read well. He he went from public school to Catholic school, and the the shock of having those nuns and stuff just really made him nervous. And and his father treated him roughly. You know, got to do it like a man and the, and stuff. It made him nervous and stuff. And he he overcomes those things, but it took him a while, and it took the help of a woman named BB North. And that to me, right there, right there, you don't even have to get into the score part, which is juicy stuff. But right there, you got the the makings of a movie. A, a woman comes to who provides unconditional love to a man and sees talent in him. When while he was growing up, people were telling him, "You want you're not going to amount to anything." And and that I think is why he got a little bit choked up today, uh, because it really is uh, one of the best stories ever told, uh, and it's it, and it's a, a somewhat like a, a mythical story. We we we've seen these stories before in Greek mythology and in Hollywood movies and stuff, where some person comes to the aid of another person and, and lifts that person up to greatness, and and that's what the Raging Mouth uh, Mike North story podcast brought to us by Raw Jewelers and Hoffman Estates is all about. So thanks for allowing me to talk about it. Guys, want to talk some White Sox? Absolutely. All right. Not so, at all. <laughs> I'm going to start things off with the question of the show. We talked about this with Mike, but really, you know, I'll start with you, Vinny. Right, let me start with Zim, because Zim knew this topic was coming up, so he's, I'm sure he's got a great answer. Who really is behind this collapse? You know, uh, is I, I'm sure you got more than one dunderhead who's responsible for this, but so I'll give you the stage, Zim, and tell us who, who you think is the, the biggest dunderhead. I mean, the biggest one is is Jerry. Jerry Reinsdorf, the, the owner of the whole thing. He's, he's the... Uh, puppet master behind the whole thing he's the one pulling all the strings he's the one who put these guys in these positions that they're in you know 
Kenny Williams got a pass for a long time because he was able to bring that championship to Chicago. But I've gone on record on this show saying that whole thing was an accident. They did not mean to win a World Series. And I stand by it. I, am I ecstatic that it happened? Yeah, it really you know, that's probably the reason that guys like Vinny and I are White Sox fans, because as kids, that's like our first core memory of sports is, you know, sure. I grew up in the 90s in the Chicagoland area, you know, watching Michael Jordan on TV. But man, I was like five years old. That meant nothing to me. Being 12 years old, playing catcher for my little league team, seeing AJ Pierzynski go out there and get behind the plate every single day for that club while being the lifeblood. I know Konerkoma is the captain, you know, so to say. He, he was the one who would have gotten the C on his chest, so to say. But Pierzynski was just as deserving. So, you know, to have a role model like that and, and for that to be what it was, yeah, that started the foundation for it. But now to grow up with the understanding of it for the same guys who built that team to still be in charge now. I mean, there's successful organizations out there that don't have the same guys in those positions right now because they understand that in order to adapt to a modern game, you have to grow, you have to change, you have to overcome certain advancements in the game and it's just not happening in Chicago. We're still seeing the same brand of White Sox baseball that we've seen since 1992 with Frank Thomas out there where they're saying, you know, we're just going to hit home runs. And if our pitching's good enough, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll win a few games. And it's like, it's not working for the last two years. They didn't even have the right hitting coach in play. And that much was obvious by the home run total. So you want a dunderhead moment there, whoever assembled that coaching staff, whether it was La Russa or Williams or whoever, I can go on and on and on about this because I think we as White Sox fans are completely fed up. We've had enough of it. The fact that we're not a more vocal fan base, I think, is part of all of the problem with this. You know, Oakland is finally getting some real traction in doing something about their ownership and doing something about changing their team. You know, out in Washington, the commanders just had an ownership change due in large part to the fans, to the fan bases uproar over everything that's happening and we as white Sox fans have just gotten too complacent you know mike was just on the show talking about how this is not a mom and pop organization this is a big three uh uh market for all of sports but the white Sox don't act like it the white Sox operate the same way as the kansas city royals right now and that's not okay so biggest dunderhead you know pz in the chat says throw a dart i'm i'm completely on board with that Pick up uh, a team calendar from any time between 1991 and 2023 and, and flip to a page and you got somebody to blame because it's, it's a generational systemic failure. Absolutely. I completely agree, Zim. You could just throw a dart and you can hit a player. You can hit any coach. You know, nothing has worked out well with this team in the last, you know, basically since winning the World Series in 2005. And like you said, even that was kind of like a borderline accident. Like it was just this great team, you know, coming together at the right time and getting it done when it mattered most. Um, obviously, the easy answer is Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the team. Everything, you know, starts out with it, him being his business and whatever. But I think you can look even deeper than that. There are a couple other bad owners in baseball right now. By bad owners, I mean cheap owners because Jerry Reinsdorf is probably not a bad dude, right? Like he's not like Mr. Schneider who was just like, you know, let out of Washington, who was a straight up bad guy in every sense of the word. Um, but when you get to Reinsdorf, it's ba mainly because he's cheap. Well, there are lots of cheap owners with teams who have GMs that win. I think about Tampa Bay, 
Um, Oakland has ownership issues when it term when it comes to like, you know, finances as well, but also like, you know, moving the team and whatnot and issues with their location there in California. But they go through like you know, money ball type things like the movie suggests where they'll be good for three or four years. Then they sell everybody off. That's an issue. But, you know, at least they have a playoff series win in the last 10 years. They beat the White Sox in the playoffs with a team kind of like that. There are other owners who find or GMs who find ways to be better than the White Sox have been with less money. You know, the White Sox, they do at the end of the day have a top 10 payroll in the league right now. It's just not allocated the right way and there's money spent in the wrong spots everybody likes to get on the Grendahl contract and Andrew Benintendi's had a good year but you know a middle of the pack left fielder is he worth the richest contract to team history probably not you know there are all sorts of things you can point to for Rick Hahn building a Super Bowl pen that ended up stinking anyway but you know allocating all that money to Joe Kelly and Kendall Graveman and we love Liam Hendricks he you know you pay for a closer and he's really kind of underpaid based on what he's brought but you know even some of the giving Aaron Bummer that contract you know I, I think it all of course it, it starts at the top with Jerry Reinsdorf but if I'm giving someone a dunderhead I'm gonna slap it on Rick Hahn at this point in time I think that's completely fair I mean he is the one who ultimately assembled a lot of this roster um Again, I th- I think, like I said before, it, it still falls on Kenny Williams and uh, Jerry Reinsdorf for allowing him to be in the position to do all of that. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, I think you make a really good point with uh, Ben Intendi being the richest player in team history. You know, is he really deserving of that to be the player that he is? But at the same time, I ask you this, did you expect him to be any different player than what he is? I I sure didn't. I expected him to be exactly the guy that he is. And I thought that the contract was totally fair for him. So what you were talking about with the misallocation of funds, I think that's what it boils down to with a lot of this. The overhype, I don't know if it really was overhype. Like like Mike North was talking about earlier. Yeah, we were sold something, but did, did they really oversell or did they just horrendously underdevelop? You know, Yoan mm. Moncada was the number one prospect in all of baseball when they traded Chris Sale for him. You know, the, the guys that have been on that list recently, we're talking Adley Rutschman, bona fide superstar. We're talking Julio Rodriguez, bona fide superstar. You know, we're talking Shohei Otani, who would have been a number one player. He was the number one international player upon his time of signing. You know, do you? Yeah. He, Mankata, Mankata would be Boston starting second baseman right now if they never traded yep. for sale. There's no doubt in my mind. No, but Boston went out and got Trevor Story to address that instead. And guess what? He's just as good. Like yeah. they 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 fell short and then they went out and fixed the problem instead of falling short and then doubling down on it. And by no means am I saying that Boston's a good team. They're dead last in their division, but they'd be in first place in the AL Central if they were in that division right now. So clearly they're doing something better than the White Sox. Yeah, Mike North talked about the Sox not even being close to Texas or Houston. And I, I didn't get into saying it, but I was like, Texas or Houston? They're not even close to, like, Detroit, who's in third place in the AL Central. What, what are we talking about Texas and Houston for? Let's get into third place before we start talking about Texas and Houston. They can't even win right. the damn AL Central. That stinks. The Twins are probably going to win the division. They'll play in the playoffs and lose the series with the V's would be my prediction. And we're talking about talk the, the Rangers or the <laughs> the Astros, who have been the two best teams in the American League for most of this season. Like, no, uh-uh, not well, even close. And you guys know I live in the Denver area. 
people people ask me you know i go to the card shows i go to the card shops and everything like that they ask me you know who's your team who do you root for who's your collection i always say white socks all these rockies fans are like apologizing to me and feeling bad for me i'm like guys you know who you root for right they're like dude (laughs) check the standings check the standings check the payrolls check the team history yeah you know what at least the uh the rockies they'll go out and buy a free agent every now and then they sure will they'll also throw a hell of a party at the stadium how much of the responsibility falls on executive vice president kenny williams i mean he's the one ultimately building this thing right like he might not all right all right to put it into context, Aldo, you're you're a football guy, I know. I know you do all of it, but let me turn it around on you. If if the white or okay. In this most previous rebuild of the Chicago Bears, how much of it do you put on Ted Phillips? Well, you know? yeah, Ted supposedly is only involved in the financial aspects of the Chicago Bears, according to Ted. Now, there's been reports by Hubarkish and others saying that they interfere more than they let on. But he is supposed to be handling only the financial, the stadium and and TV money and so forth. With uh, Kenny Williams, his, his responsibilities also include overseeing the baseball operations, letting it to Rick Hahn, but he's, he's, he's boss. He promoted from assistant GM to GM when he got up to that executive VP level. So I think Kenny Williams is a, is a big part of the blame. Does he have a vision? Does he really know how to fulfill that vision? If he does it, if he does, does he have the scouting system? And, and clearly he does because a lot of these guys, you know, came in as promising players, but as you guys have as have been mentioning, they don't have a, the developmental staff, the proper coaching, the proper managing. And I disagree with Mike North on this. I think that part of the reason this team is playing poorly this year is because of the remnants of Tony La Russa. I truly believe that. I think Tony was way in over his head. He was a manager who was sleeping in the dugout. He was a manager who needed help from fans. He was a manager who didn't know the rules. He was just way past his prime. And the reason he got that team into the playoffs his first season managing is because it was a playoff team. Yes. And so he, he took it downwards. And I think, you know, Gerfall is, is to blame uh, clearly for what's happening this season. But there is the, the remnants of that Larusa smell still in that clubhouse where players think that I'm entitled. I can do whatever I want. I'm not going to play because I, I, my pinky hurts or whatever it is. Th- this is what I suspect. I don't have any insider knowledge. I agree. I, there's, yeah. there's a big three. Right. I mean, it's Reinsdorf, it's Kenny Williams, and it's Rick Hahn. And then you could start to look deeper than that beyond them. Like, you you know, you could blame Pedro Grafal, you could blame the players, but Hahn and Williams are ultimately the most responsible for Grafal and the players. But, um, uh, you know, I I do think Tony LaRusso was a problem. You know, everybody knows my stance on that. But my apology that I wrote on Twitter the other day was mainly – not because I thought Tony LaRusso was good. I just now can see with a little more clarity now that he's gone that it went far beyond him as well. And that that's kind of where my whole stance Fair is enough. on the whole thing now. Like, sure. like if they fired – if Kenny Williams woke up tomorrow and fired Rick Hahn, they would probably just promote Chris Getz, who's the – 
assistant general manager, and he basically has the exact same philosophies as Rick Hahn. So it's hard for me to think that this team just doesn't need anything other than a complete overhaul. Not a single person there with a job right now should have a job on October the 5th or whatever the Black Monday of the MLB is. And that's it. I'm, you, you just need from top to bottom a complete overhaul, and you can't fire an owner. But, you, you know, you would, you, would just, you would just hope that you know, because I uh, one time I heard David Kaplan say something. I know a lot of people disagree with things Cap says, but he said something smart to, that I heard one time. He said, owning a professional sports franchise in any of the big four or the WNBA or any of the big major sports leagues in the world, the MLS, any of them, it's a public trust fund. You have a – you have like a, a – I don't even know the word I'm thinking of a civic duty civic duty to make sure that this team is putting its best best foot forward to be the best version of itself. So it can compete in the league and every fan could have a chance. And uh, Jerry Reinsworth has done a disservice to that. So he probably doesn't think so, but one division title in the last, they got one division title out of the rebuild. And two yep. playoff wins. Not playoff series wins. Playoff wins. Games. I thought it was only one. They got one versus Oakland and then one versus um, Houston. Houston. So there's two. Uh, they won the Giolito start. In the, they took a That's one nothing right. series lead. And then and in the game three. Yeah. Then in the yeah. game three, Luis Robert hit one to Pluto. And that was about it. They had the lead. And then Dylan Cease couldn't go longer than a couple innings. And. They brought Crochet was injured. Uh, it was just disgusting that game three. Um, but yeah, it's been bad. So I think there's a lot of blame to go around. We could have a whole podcast where, like, instead of having a guest, we could just have a 50 minute segment for each person's blame session. I love that but idea. <laughs> the bottom line to me comes down to the thing we, we've all been circling around with this whole conversation. All three of us have touched on it, but it's, it's the Tony La Russa hire. Whoever made the final decision to hire him is the one who is to blame for this. And it's not to say that LaRusse is the root of all of it. It's just to say it was the wrong move at the wrong time. LaRusse could have been a great manager somewhere, but this team was not the team to do it with. I understand that it's it's not necessarily the most popular opinion to, especially right now with Griffal being as bad as it is. But hear me out here. Just because one guy's bad doesn't mean the other guy's good, right? They could both be bad. Griffal could just be worse. And I think that's totally a legitimate case. I think that, again, La Russa did a great job getting that team to the playoffs. But I think a lot of guys could have gotten them to the playoffs. I think that the next season is where the the wheels fell off, so to speak. you know. And whether that's on La Russa or not is kind of irrelevant. The fact of the matter is he was the manager. He didn't stop it from happening, and that's why it falls on him. And one thing people forget, and Mike touched on it, it is a point about LaRusso that I do disagree with. Um, he won he went 20 games over 500 with the Sox in 2021. Um, they were on pace to win 110 games when the whole Your Mean Mercedes thing happened. And he called him out publicly, and Your Mean Mercedes wasn't the same from that moment forward. That's Tony LaRusso's fault. Now, do I think your mean Mercedes would have stuck it out with the team the whole year and been this great player? No, I absolutely don't. But the team as a whole, 
had an attitude change following the all-star break that year. And they really weren't even all that dominant in the second half of that season. They were like a four or five games over 500 in the second half of 2021. They kept letting it slip away. Yeah, But they were so dominant in the first half of the season. And the AL Central was so bad. The Cleveland Guardians, I think it was the last year they were the Indians, they traded their second leading home run hitter to the White Sox. And, that, you know, the, the AL Central was terrible. There's a lot of reasons the 2021 White Sox won the division. Um, Tony was better that year than 2022. I will give him that. He didn't fall asleep in the dugout. He did forget the rules the one time. I guess that's just as bad as falling asleep in the dugout. Hey, but I, I forgot the rules that one time, all right? Oh, yeah, Liam Hendricks. <laughs> he, you, you, could pinch hit, you could pinch run for Liam Hendricks at the Those start are- of that wouldn't happen in today's game either because the DH is gone too. I, I know. Well, and they've been changing the rules constantly over the last 10 years. So it's, I get it. Yeah. It's not sure. excusable, but yeah, 100%. I understand how it happened. It's better than falling asleep or walking Max Muncy or walking the batter ahead of Max Muncy with a one, two count, just so Max Muncy could come up the following plate appearance and hit one to Pluto. <laughs> you know, there's a, Vinny's been doing a ton of great writing about the White Sox and um, in, in preparation for the show. I read his articles and I read a couple of others. I wanted to share a, a couple of lines from a dead uh, line uh, story that I read. I don't know if you, dead spin, excuse me. I don't know if you guys saw this, but it's a, it's a long article and, and they write an R-rated language here. But I, I picked a paragraph here that we can uh, share with for a family-friendly show. Uh, the writer says it really wasn't long ago, just three years, that most people thought the Sox had the most exciting collection of young talent in baseball. It's hard to think of such a collection turning to ash so quickly in recent baseball, at least outside of Queens. They wanted to be good. They thought they were and ended up passed out in the barn covered in crap. Anyway, you have to try to be this bad. The Sox were without knowing it. And that's the gist of the entire article that's written by, let's give the writer some credit, Sam Fells. Um, and, you know, I, I agree with him. You know, this team just looks so promising. I remember talking to Vinny on it before and, and or after Crosstown Crosstalk. I, I just felt like this is a team that's just got way too much talent to to blow this. What what has happened here? It's really one of the saddest stories in my sports fan lifetime for, of a franchise. What happened with the Chicago Blackhawks and their uh, demise for decades before Rocky Wirtz finally put them back on track with John McDonough and Dale Talon and and, and several others. Um, uh, of course, the the Bears, you know, going a couple of decades without getting into the playoffs was not a good time. But this 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 one is fresh, and it really really hurts us Chicago sports fans really bad. It might take a decade or more for the White Sox to get back into the playoffs. Mm, it might take two years, depending on how they operate at this year's deadline. I agree. This year's deadline can really make or break this club right now. So what's what's the deal? What what are you guys suggesting should happen at this deadline? Buy, sell. Uh, what are your thoughts? I'll start with you, Zim, since you since you brought it up. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious they're sellers, right? They went from six and a half games back to twelve games back over the last week. That's that's full on seller mode. Whether they mean to be or not, that's where they need to be. As far as I'm concerned, anybody not named Luis Robert, Oscar Colas. 
Jake Berger and complete honesty, I would keep him on the team. I don't think he's touchable, but I know a lot of people disagree with that. And I, it has a lot more to do with than with our history. And I want to, I want to make this case now because I've seen his name a lot in trade rumors. And I think he is absolutely one of the last guys this team should consider trading. First of all, they have club control on him until 2029. That is six more years of club control on a guy who's your second leading home run hitter. On top of it, he's shown that he's more than capable in the field. He can play multiple positions. He can DH for you. And did I mention he's your second leading home run hitter behind only a guy named Luis Robert Jr., right? The, the White Sox, the lowly, disgusting White Sox, are the only American League team with 220 home run hitters. That's right. Wow. And when you look at Jake Berger in comparison, let me let me just double check uh, MLB stat leaders. I know that he was recently just fifth in the American League in home runs. Uh, this is all MLB. Let me look American League. Sorry. I thought I had this more prepared than I was. Quite <laughs> <laughs> all right. But he is fifth in home runs. He is towards the top of the list in RBIs, if I remember correctly. Top 25, somewhere in that range. Um, forgive me for not being on the ball with that one. As far as OPS goes, he's also top 10 in that, uh, which means he's very high up there in slugging percentage. And for all the stat nerds out there, for the people who think that traditional, you know, batting average, RBIs, OPS, stuff like that doesn't matter. What He's towards the top of the league in hard hit ball percentage too. The guy tears the cover off the ball. He is, in my opinion, one of the last guys that this team should be considering trading. Um, but he seems like the kind of guy that the White Sox will trade and he'll go on to be an all-star third baseman for the Red Sox or somebody like that. You know, that's just, that's what it feels like. And it's unfortunate. <sighs> that that really saddens me. Well presented, though, <laughs> What do you think, uh, Vinny? Uh, trade deadline is coming up. What do uh, you foresee happening? What would you like to see happen? So not that I'm trying to plug SouthsideShowdown.com or anything like that, but I totally mm -hmm. am. I went uh, on and I ranked my six realistic trade pieces and – People aren't going to like who I included for number one. I don't think number one is going to get traded, but he is in conversations, so I included him there. I don't believe Jake Berger or Luis Robert Jr. are going to be traded, so I left both of them off. Um, I started with number six, Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly's a bullpen arm. He's had injuries up and down. If a team gave up a B-plus B prospect to get a reliever, though, I wouldn't be all that shocked. The Cubs got way more last year for relief pitchers who are worse than Joe Kelly. So... You know, I think it's a possibility that the White Sox trade Joe Kelly. He's won a World Series twice with two different teams in two different leagues, and he was a big part of the Red Sox and Dodgers bullpens in both of those years. So I included him as the number six guy. And the reason, only reason I have him at six over my number five guy is because he just came back from an injury. So we'll see how he pitches the rest of the season or how often he pitches. Injuries have been an issue for him in a White Sox uniform. But at five, I did put Kendall Graveman, who – it really sucks that his most recent showing was a dud. He blew the 3 nothing lead that they had in the ninth inning yesterday, and that allowed the Minnesota Twins to ultimately complete the sweep in extra innings. But 
I still think Kendall Graveman is having a nice season. And if he were on another team that handled their pitching better and didn't have Pedro Grafal as their manager, I think you'd see a big spike in Kendall Graveman's play because he was an outstanding pitcher with the Houston Astros and the Seattle Mariners before the White Sox. Um, there's a reason when he was traded from the Mariners to the Astros in 2021, all the Mariners players were like, what the hell, we're waving the white flag? And, it, you know, it started a ripple effect there with that. And that was Kendall Graveman. And now the Sox might be able to get something for him. I would assume these two bullpen arms have a chance. That four, I put Lance Lynn. Um, I really like Lance. I've said this to Joe and Zim a bunch. I really wanted the White Sox to win with Lance. I, I was a huge Lance guy when he was with the Cardinals, when he was with the Rangers. And then when the White Sox got him, I was like, all right, let's go win a freaking World Series. You got Lance Lynn. You got Lance Lynn, and you can argue he's your three because it was coming off the Dallas Keuchel year where he was really good, and then he turned to be crap. But at the start of the season, Keuchel was firmly the two, and Lance was the three. And it's like, wow. you can really. And then this season, he's on pace to break the White Sox record for most home runs given up in a season by a starting pitcher. But he has an elite strikeout rate. What does that tell you? That tells you that his stuff is still really good, but guys are finding a way to know what pitch is coming when. That could be a White Sox problem. It wouldn't shock me at all if that's a White Sox problem. And if Lance went to the Baltimore Orioles or the Tampa Bay Rays, two teams who do great with analytics, they can help Lance come up with formulas and decision-making stuff, better catchers, obviously, calling the game, um, smarter managers. I think Lance could be a really nice trade piece. I don't think the White Sox are going to get much for him because they shot themselves in the foot with him. But if you could get something for him, I would pull the trigger at three. I put Tim Anderson only because I do think Tim Anderson has the chance to be an elite player. Um, he has been an elite player in every year of his career since 2019, except for this year. And he's really started to hit the ball lately. He hasn't hit a home run yet. And a lot of people are getting on him because he hasn't hit a home run yet. But what's Tim Anderson's career high in home runs anyway? Nine. Who really cares if Tim Anderson's hitting? You know, you'd like to see him hit a home run every now and again, right? And I'm pretty sure he's second or third in White Sox history and leadoff home runs all time. I think Ray Durham is number one. But you know, Tim Anderson, he's going to go to another team and he's going to hit a home run and he's going to, you know, start hitting the cover off the ball again. His average will increase. He might play second base, which Team USA at the World Baseball Classic did the White Sox a solid by showing everyone that he can play second base if need be because he wasn't starting over Trey Turner, who's one of the best shortstops in Major League Baseball, now a member of the Phillies. You could probably get something for Tim Anderson, I would think, of at least minimal value. Uh, two, I put Lucas Giolito. He's probably number one if you ink disclude the guy I did put number one because I, I don't think they're going to trade that guy. But Lucas Giolito, he is a really good starting pitcher. He was a top 10 pitcher in the American League, Cy Young voting-wise, starting pitcher-wise of 2019, 20, and 21. He was bad in 22. He's been good again in 23. That makes the outlier the bad year, not any of the good years. So I think Lucas Giolito will get the White Sox a haul out of everybody that is actually going to be traded. Number one, though, I did rank Dylan Cease number one, not because I do think the White Sox are going to trade him. He is a White Sox tradable asset right now, though, and he is the best of them. Um, he's not having the season he did last year. You can argue Giolito has been a touch better lately, but Dylan Cease, the sky's the limit for him. He could be a Cy Young candidate year in and year out, especially if he's on a good team. I would say Dylan Cease is that guy. If he were to go to a team like Baltimore or Tampa Bay or Cincinnati, he would fetch a haul, and that's why I ranked him number one. But I don't actually think he's going to get traded. But I also wouldn't be surprised. I think when you're 19 games under 500, really anybody shouldn't be untouchable. But Yeah. It's oh. tough because – 
the White Sox don't have that one piece to build around. You know, you could argue it's Luis Robert Jr., but what we're seeing right now is his best season ever. It's been his most healthy season ever, right? So right now, as you talk about, Vinny, where with your outliers versus what the status quo is, well, right now, this season's the outlier for Luis Robert Jr. So can you really build around him confidently? And that's what's tough for the Sox. They don't have a J-Rod. They don't have a Rutschman. They don't have an Ellie De La Cruz. They don't have an O'Neill Cruz, you know? For, for you cross-sport people out there who might not necessarily pay attention to guys other than the Sox, they don't have a Connor Bedard. They don't have a Justin Fields. They don't have who the so- or who the Bulls seem to think Zach Levine is. But they, <laughs> they, they don't have any of that in Chicago, right? They At don't least have the any Bulls of that played the playing game. No, yeah. Well, the Sox, have, the, the Sox have more wins with Luis Robert Jr. than the Bulls have with Zach Levine. So I think that says enough right there. That is true. <laughs> At any rate, well, the, Sox, the Sox have to do some things. I think uh, addressing catcher, and I know they've been linked to Diego Cartaya. Uh, I think that would be an amazing move for them. I don't know what they'd have to give up to get him. Uh, I've heard lots of good, good things about Colson Montgomery, but he's still in a ball. So God only knows when he's going to be ready. If they do get rid of Tim Anderson um, and beyond that, what even is their farm system right now? That's the tough part. So you got to rebuild. If you're going to sell, you got to decide what the window is too. So if you're going to blow it up and, and rebuild um, shouldn't you uh, fire some people first <laughs> and not let the uh, Rick Hahn or uh, Kenny Williams be responsible for trading these assets that you have? And, you know, I, I, I still look at Lewis Robert and, and every name that you mentioned, Vinny, on, on, from your article about the guys to trade. I, I, I think just about everyone on that list would be a desirable asset for a team that's trying to make the playoffs or trying to win the world series. Cause we know they're getting it into the playoffs. Those are all quality players who can, who can do some things on a quality team with good management, like you said. So um, do you, do the should should Jerry Reinsdorf consider making some administrative changes first before uh, making any trades? There's a week left, right? Yeah, I would say they absolutely should. It's August first, so I think that's a week from tomorrow, mm-hmm. and I that's why I think they're going to fail again because uh, you know Mike one one point Mike did make if I you know, built his house and I messed up his flooring and he stuck through his foot. He wouldn't call me back to, you know, be the guy who fixes the floor. That would just be a dumb, a decision. If Zim broke his shower, he wouldn't call Zim to come fix it. He'd call somebody else. It's time to try something new. And if that guy messed up, you'll find a different guy. Mm -hmm. They're probably not going to full on rebuild because they have Luis Robert Jr. And Dylan sees, and I don't think they're going to trade Eloy or, Andrew Vaughn, even though, like I said, I don't think anybody should be untouchable. Um, There are only two prospects that I love that the White Sox have, and it's Colson Montgomery and Noah Schultz. They're both two. They're both top 100 guys. I think Schultz is number 100. Yes, he Um, is. They're the only top 100 guys in the Sox. Yeah, which they had zero before last year. So at least we're at a starting point again. Um I just – and they'll probably make a top 10 pick next year, right? It might even be top five depending on the lottery and whatnot that they now conduct in the MLB. But 
yeah, I think they're going to fail. I, I, I don't, I won't be optimistic about the next rebuild. Like I was this last one. I believed in Nikon at first I did. We had switched over from Kenny Williams and it seemed like, it seemed like Rick Hahn was finally able to do things the way he wanted to do them starting in 2016. And I, I believed there was a philosophy change because the Cubs won the World Series. And, you know, that could also be a business thing. Like, okay, Rick, we're in big – we're already light years behind the Cubs in terms of popularity. Now we're in danger of, like, being, like, completely irrelevant compared to the Cubs. They just won the World Series. And at the time, again, hindsight is twenty twenty, of course. But at the time, Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, Contreras – uh, at, we didn't know the type of human being Addison Russell was at the time. They had Lester and Hendricks and Arietta. At that time, it looked like they could win two more. And they, they ended up not. It's very hard to do that. But at the time, it's like, okay. So I thought there might have been a philosophy change as well because of that. And I do think that's important. I've heard from people that I trust that it is important for the White Sox in their minds to be at minimum better than the Cubs. It's a terrible way to look at it you should want to be better than the teams in your division not the freaking cubs they should be irrelevant to you but i thought there was a philosophy change i was wrong i am not going to have as much faith in Rickon for rebuild 2.0 or retool 2.0 whatever the hell you want to call it guys you know this is uh the crosstown series week and typically we'd be spending an hour talking about this upcoming series uh, but uh that's not to be with the with the state of the Chicago White Sox right now but uh let's take a look at the pitching matchups for this series let me get this uh, banner out of the way and um we've got Kyle Hendricks versus Michael Kopech going tomorrow night at Guaranteed Rate Stadium. Uh Kopech is 4 and 8 with a 4.29 ERA. Kyle Hendricks is 3 and 4 with that 3.38 ERA. Vinny, what do you think about this uh, matchup and can uh, the White Sox win a game at home? Um, I do think they can beat the Cubs, but the Cubs are also bad. I also think the Cubs can beat the White Sox because the White Sox are bad. Um, the pitching matchup favors the Cubs in this game on a typical day. But mm -hmm. Kopech has the potential to be one of the best pitchers in the world on any given day. We've seen him take no hitters into the eighth inning. We've seen him dominate the New York Yankees lineup that has four Hall of Famers in it. You know, last year I'm talking, this year they stink. But last year there were tons of great talent in the Yankees lineup. And, you know, we've seen Kopech have stretches like that. He hasn't been on one of those lately. His most recent start was better. You see he's got 102 strikeouts on the screen. That's in limited innings with a couple injuries that took him out for weeks at a time. His stuff is good. He just gets in his own head. He likes to walk batters. He leads to run scoring. If the Cubs put together good at-bats against Kopech, they're going to win the game. But if he has his dominant stuff and the confidence on the mound, then the White Sox will have a chance. I'm not certain about the offense against Hendricks, though, and that's obviously a scary thing. Sim, how do you see this game? I'm really aligned with Vinny in this. It It is a great pitching matchup, in my opinion. I think both games are great pitching matchups. Mm -hmm. um, either one of these guys can dominate on any given day. And it's all going to depend on the offenses, you know. It's it's going to be can Bellinger spark the Cubs or can somebody from the Sox, you know, get lucky and poke one over the fence because that's what it feels like it takes for them. Um, 
I will say it's a series at guaranteed rate field. So we know one guy is going to be playing hard and hit the cover off the ball. Uh, it's a matter of whether the rest of the team gets behind him or not. Okay. And in the matchup on Wednesday night, it's Marcus Stroman versus Lance Lynn, two guys who might be facing uh, playing their last games as Chicagoans or next to last games. Uh, Zim, start with you. What do you think about this pitching matchup? The pitching matchup, like I said, these are both great games. Stroman versus Lynn, uh, even before the season started, we all could have circled this game and said, yeah, that's going to be a pitching duel. Uh, the thing is, you know, as Vinny mentioned quite some time ago, Lance Lynn is looking to try to set records for home runs allowed as a pitcher this season. So it'll depend on where his stuff is this day. Um, if he pitches really well, though, he could do a lot to boost his trade value because I don't think there's any chance that he's not moved before the deadline. I think he's as good as gone. Um, I think the Cubs have a have a serious conversation to have about Marcus Stroman. Um, and regardless, he's a dude, you know, 10 and seven this season with a three something ERA. He's coming out looking to prove something to himself more than anybody else. He thinks he's a real, you know, badass MFer, and, and he's trying to prove it to everybody else too. And I don't blame him because his stuff has been electric this year. So, uh, it, it's all going to come down to pitching. And frankly, I think this game rests entirely on Lance Lynn's shoulders. It's, it's whether or not he's got his stuff this day or not. Yeah, I, I agree. Obviously, it favors the Cubs again, right? Like Marcus Stroman, he was an all-star. The Cubs have two of their three, their second and third best pitchers going in this game, and the White Sox have their fourth and fifth guys right now. Or I guess you could say third and fourth because they don't really have a fifth guy with Clev out. But <laughs> um, Stroman, he hasn't been that good in his last three starts, and nobody's really talking about it because nobody in Chicago wants to talk about it because they don't want it to come to light so his trade value drops. But he hasn't been bad. He just wasn't that dominant guy, that all-star like he was in the first half since the all-star break ended. I don't know if he's injured. He had the blister on his finger and whatever. But, I mean, Lance Lynn, again, he's given up a billion home runs this season. The Cubs are 20th in home runs this season as a team in the MLB. I'm not certain that they're just going to go out there and crush the ball. Like, obviously, got to be careful against guys like Bellinger. And, you know, Hap is having a down year home run-wise, but, you know, he's still got 16, I think. He, he's a threat every time he's at the plate to hit one deep. Same thing with Swanson and Horner. But um, I think this is obviously the pitching matchup favors the Cubs, and they've been playing better lately. But they're coming off a series against the Cardinals who are bad. Well, the Cardinals took the two or three from the White Sox. So I'm not going into this series with a whole lot of optimism. But you'll never hear me, even in the worst of worst White Sox seasons, predict that the Cubs are going to beat them. No way. Joe says that the Sox would be out of their mind if they start Lynn and Geo again. So, of course, they're going to start those guys. See, again. I disagree. Oh, I agree with Giolito now. Okay. I yes. think you have to start Lynn one more time, though, because Lynn's he was so value, bad in his last game. I entirely agreed. His value can only go up based on that last start. Yes. And they let Giolito go one after having a terrible start, and he gave up zero runs through five innings yesterday. So I think people realize that the one bad game post-All-Star break was kind of an anomaly for Giolito. You're going to get yesterday's performance more often than the bad one. Now, if the Sox are smart, what they're going to do is they're going to get a deal in place for Lynn you know, over the next couple of days, and then they're going to throw him out there on Wednesday just to prove that he can actually do it and pull him like two outs into the game. 
All right, after that two-game series with the Cubbies, uh, the Sox will start a four-game series with the Guardians, and it looks like it's going to be Tanner BB. And I I, I pulled this before uh, MLB changed uh, – updated, I should say, the pitching matchups. So I believe it's going to be Dylan Cease uh, facing BB. What do you think about that matchup, Vin? Um, if it is Dylan Cease, yeah, I would say that that's obviously – I mean, BB's been having a really good year this year, and his numbers are all better than Dylan Cease, but it's Dylan Cease, right? So, like, you go into a series with your ace thinking that you have a chance to win the game, right? Like, it's supposed to be the one in five games where you're, like, going into it with confidence. But as we saw over the weekend against the Twins, Dylan Cease could have a really nice start, right? It could all be amazing. And then, you know the bullpen could blow it and the team could lose the game anyway. And the guardians, they, they play the white Sox extra hard. I don't think the twins play the white Sox all that extra hard. I think they just treat it like any other game, but for some reason, those Naylor brothers and Jose Ramirez and all those guys in Cleveland, they love destroying the white Sox. So, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a tough series for sure. Yeah. What are you, what are your thoughts, Steve, uh, Stephen uh, Zim overall on the entire four game series, white Sox and guardians. Yeah, uh, the Cleveland owns the White Sox. That's all there is to it. It's it's mm. been that way for a few years now, uh, and it's just the unfortunate reality. Um, you know, the Naylor boys crush against the Sox. Uh, Jose Ramirez has owned them. I don't even know if he's still there anymore. Honestly, I, I've paid so little attention to the rest of this division because the White Sox are just so depressing. All I know is that they've not done well against the division this year. I don't expect that to change in this series. Um, and I think the Sox, you know, over this five game stretch in the next week, I think a very realistic one and four. Mm. One and four. Ouch. Uh, Joe says he's actually prefer the guardians as owners over Jerry. <laughs> oh man. Uh, the only other announced starter, at least according to ESPN on Saturday or excuse me. Yeah. Uh, no, Friday it will be Lucas Giolito pitching for the White Sox. No announced starter for the Guardians. And um, that's that. Uh, what do you think about Giolito getting one more start before he's dealt? <laughs> I would not do it. I agree with Joe because he got his good start like in there. You don't need mm -hmm. to go up there and play, even if they play okay against the Guardians. Like you, you risk injury. You know, there's all sorts of things like, it's one thing I like about hockey. They're not dumb when the trade deadline comes around. Like the Hawks will bench Patrick Kane mm -hmm. um, until he's traded to the New York Rangers, right? Like, you know, I remember guy, guys will fake injuries and, you know, miss games because they know they're going to be traded and they want to go play in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Your salary is not going to change, so you want to play in the playoffs, right? So, I mean, I, I wouldn't do it. <clears throat> I think a Giolito trade will probably get done sooner than later i'm actually if they make their starts lynn and giolito against the guardians i'm going to be less optimistic that they're traded at all mm. <clears throat> and they'll be back with the team again next year and they'll try and run it back which is also probably a mistake so you know either way the white Sox are in a perpetual circle of mistakes um i hope they're motivated by making the cubs sellers because i think the cubs season hinges on this three-game set with the – or two-game set with the White Sox. And then I think they have Washington again. Mm -hmm. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's Washington again for the Cubs right after the White Sox. So another bad team. 
and a long stretch of bad teams leading up to the trade deadline. So if the White Sox could go play spoiler, that'd be fun. But it's really going to be the only time this year that I care that they play spoiler, though. Actually, after uh, the White Sox series, the Cubs will have a four-game set with the Cardinals at St. Louis. The Cardinals. I knew it was another bad red team that they just played. (laughs) Oh, guys. Hey. Do you mind if we swerve our talk over the Chicago Bears for these last 15, 20, 30 minutes of the show? Let's do it. (laughs) I love it. Talk about something exciting. Yeah, I know Vinny has posted a few news stories on uh, the fan-sided website. Uh, Which one uh, do you post the the Bears articles to? The Windy City. The Windy City. Uh, Tell us about your latest one, which was, I believe, about acquiring a pass rusher, right? Yeah, so David Kaplan, you know how he does his new little YouTube series, Take That, mm-hmm. um, right. or the recap, the recap. Um, he announced he's been poking his nose around the league, mm-hmm. and everyone believes that the Bears are interested in adding a pass rusher mm-hmm. before you know training camp starts. And obviously this came on Friday. Well, training camp starts tomorrow with media interviews, but um, – the, you know, stuff people could still be signed. Like the, the, the big three that are still out there are going to sign before, um, you know, things really get going and they'll play in the NFL this season. Um, Justin Houston is an option. A lot of Baltimore people <clears throat> believe that he is going to end up back with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I know our fan sided site, Ebony Bird for the Baltimore Ravens, they wrote about that and showed some sources of, uh, Baltimore beat writers confirming that, but I mean, he's still out there. You could go in and swoop him up. Um, forgive me for this name. Um, I don't, I never in all the years have been able to pronounce it correctly. Yannick and Gakwe. That's pretty close. I like it. We'll stay with that. <laughs> Yannick and Gakwe. And then Judevion Clowney, the former first overall pick. Um, he kind of became a first overall pick because he had a big hit while playing for the um, South Carolina Gamecocks. And obviously, mm-hmm. it, he's he's a good player, right? I don't know if he necessarily became that, like, I kind of expected him to be like a Hall of Fame talent when he was drafted first overall. I was like, this guy's going to be unreal. He's going to be the next J.J. Watt, or I guess you couldn't say the next J.J. Watt when he was first drafted, but, you know, he was, was playing with J.J. Watt, and it was awesome. And it he was good. He wasn't great, I would say. But I think the Bears could use a good pass rusher right now, and all three of those guys fit the bill. Zim kept shaking his head at Houston, though. Is that because you just believe he's going to sign with uh, the Ravens, or do you believe it's because okay he doesn't fit anything that the Bears have been building this season? What's the oldest player the Bears have signed this offseason? Do you know, Vinny? Um, Is it the linebacker from the Colts? I don't even know who it is. I know that his age is twenty eight years old, though. Okay. I know that the Bears are building a young roster right now. They are not building for this year. They are building for the future. If you notice all of the signings that they're making, they are leaving lots of room to be able to pay Justin Fields when that time inevitably comes, right? This team is not built for this season, and a lot of Bears fans need to keep that in mind. They will do well this season. They will win nine games this season minimum. The over-under, by the way, is seven and a half right now. Go, go bet the over. I'm telling you now. We, we had our handicapper on earlier while I'm playing his job right now. Go bet the hammer the over on that. They will do it. Uh, this is going to be one of the most underrated teams in the entire league. People think that Detroit's going to do well this year. That should tell you how wide open this division is, all right? Um, <laughs> Sorry, Don Burr. 
As for <laughs> wherever you are. Hey, Don Burr's a great Bears fan, man. He never misses a show. That's true. <laughs> How true is that? But I'm just looking you, around. Stump. I'm looking around at some of the guys that are available right now. Yannick's the only guy who like is even intriguing as far as any of these guys go. He's the right age. He's only 28 years old. He's uh he's young. He's played in this system before. He unfortunately has bounced around a lot, but that kind of works in the bears favor. They can mm-hmm. sign him probably for less money because of that. Um, clearly that's not the bears first priority right now. They went out and signed a wide receiver today. Uh, and it was not a special teams wide receiver either, which kind of has me worried about uh, what they think of the lower end of this receiving core and guys like Dante Pettis and Vilas Jones jr. And guys like that. But uh, uh- I think the, also they, there may be concerns about uh, Chase Claypool, and he was activated off the pup list, as Joe mentioned in the chat room. But um, the, nonetheless, the fact that he had an injury, missed a part of the OTAs, might be concerning to them. And Darnell Mooney, we all know, is coming off an injury. There are expectations he will be ready to rock and roll uh, come camp. And but nevertheless, there might be, you know, some concern with the number two and number three wide receiver on this team. So Isaiah Ford was signed today, uh, as Zim mentioned. And I, I got to tell you, regarding uh, uh, Zim, to your point about the Bears signing young players, I totally agree with you. That is the master plan. But if you can get a veteran on a one-year deal, and so you're paying them seven, eight million dollars on a one one year deal, then that's okay. And I, I think that's actually what they're trying to do with Yannick and Dakwe is to sign him to a one or two year deal if you have to. He's 28 years old. Uh, the problem with him is that he just doesn't want to pay attention to the running game. He wants to get sacks. And so he's a liability in the run game. And we all know what happened to the Bears defense last year against uh, uh, opposing teams running game. And so there might be some concern about that. And they're, they're trying to lowball. Right? There's no doubt in my mind, you know, Leonard Floyd was signed signed up for a one-year $7.5 million contract. And Dakwe has stated that he wants more. He wants a multi-year contract. He has stated that he wants to settle down with his family in a particular city. And he that's why he brought Drew Rosenhaus in to manage uh, that, to try to negotiate that contract. And Drew's going to play it tough, and uh, we'll see where it goes. But it's it's going to be interesting because if the team, as as Zim rightly said, this this division is wide open. And so if you can get a pass rusher, maybe you can't squeeze into the playoffs and get these young players the necessary playoff experience that uh, it takes to eventually win Super Bowls. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see. My my counter argument with the older guy. Mm-hmm. Circle back just a little bit, because I do think that Ngakwe is absolutely a guy they're looking at. I do completely agree that they're going to try to lowball him. You know, you talk about a one year, seven million dollar deal for uh, Leonard Floyd. What does that mean? They're looking at for Ngakwe, maybe two years, $12 million, you know, mm-hmm. nine and a half in guarantees, eight in guarantees, something like that. Yeah. I think that's totally reasonable, but he probably wants something a little longer term. As far as bringing in an older guy though, what is the advantage to that? There's no advantage to that, to this roster. You're not mentoring anybody. All you're doing is taking reps away from young guys who are supposed to be the core of this team, right? If you want to bring in a new edge rusher if you really want to bring in somebody who's going to be here long term who's going to be your mentor who's going to be your cornerstone 
why not do that with your two first round picks next year? Right. Mm -hmm. I, you can't honestly tell me that Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus are looking at this roster right now going, we're a Super Bowl competitor this year. Right. Right. So I agree. That's where I think their minds are at. I think they have a plan. I think they're sticking to it. Now, I think contrary to what Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace did, that plan is fluid and can very much change if something comes up. We're not going to sit our franchise player through a preseason because it's not in the plan, right? We're going we're gonna to do the right thing. But there's a lot of nuance that goes into this. I think in Gakwe, even though he's a sack getter and not a run stopper, the two linebackers that you've signed this off season have really allowed you the freedom to be able to go sign somebody like that, right? Mm -hmm. To allow somebody to just go get them, throw them in on third down, go get them, throw them in on second and third down, go get them. Who cares? You know, mm -hmm. you've got these th two linebackers out there. You got Sanborn, who we already know is a, uh, sideline to sideline sort of coverage guy on top of who's the other kid that they have. I know they got somebody else in there at linebacker. Uh, Ed, Edwards from the Eagles, TJ yes. Edwards. No, no, there's somebody else I'm thinking even further down than that. Tremaine uh, Edmonds? Uh, was no, 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 because he's the starter. He's the starter. Oh, right? I'm I thinking you're, of somebody further down. You're, um, okay, you're talking about uh, – Let uh, me find him. It's, it, you may Sewell. Be talk Noah yeah. Sewell. Noah Sewell, who was uh, drafted their, in their the draft pick. sixth or seventh round. Right. Correct. That's who I was thinking of. But Sewell's also a sideline to sideline kind of guy who's going to get his opportunities alongside Sanborn. You mm -hmm. know, Sanborn, Sanborn and Sewell will probably get a lot of those. I think Sewell will end up taking them away from Sanborn. I know not a lot of people want to hear that, but the neck might not be here to stay. Uh, and Sterling Weatherford, that's a kid who a lot of people like on tape. He's a special teams guy, and that's it at the end of the day. He's going to be a hell of a special teamer. He he He's the kind of guy who's got staying power as a special teamer. But mm -hmm. well, Weatherford intrigues me because he was a safety uh, in college and played at, at a really high level. He's a tall, lanky guy, long arms. And so uh, because he didn't quite have the speed to play NFL safety, they've moved him to the linebacker position. He's been adding weight. I think there's more promise for him as a potential guy who could – deliver quality snaps at the linebacker position. I don't think he will ever be a reliable starting line, linebacker, but I think uh, uh, in addition to special teams play, he could uh, be a, a really good bench player, Sterling Weatherford, yeah. keep, keep an eye on him. He feels like a nickel linebacker, you know, the kind of guy mm -hmm. that you bring in when, when you want those five DBs, but you don't actually want – this the slightness of frame of a DB out there. So instead of that fifth corner or that third corner, you bring in a third linebacker. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Those yep. kind of packages the, 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 the three, four, four sort of package rather than a three, three, five in this right. defense. But yeah, the, these bears coaches love their linebackers to be long and, and their pass rushers too. They want long arms. They want tall guys. Uh, they prefer that, which is one of the reasons they allowed Roquan Smith to go. They liked the way Roquan played, but he just didn't fit the athletic skill set that they want out of these linebackers. And when I looked at tape of Tremaine Edmonds uh, with, when he was with the Buffalo Bills the last few years, this guy could become an, a Brian Erlacher type. And what I mean by that is when they go into their cover two defense, he's going to man the middle of that field uh, to stop the tight end from going across the middle running backs from going across the middle. And he could be a, that third defensive back, turn that cover two into a cover three because he's got the speed and the length to maneuver the middle of the field. He could be, I think 
uh, he's going to be a bear favorite. We're going to, you know, hopefully, you know, this Chicago Bears team, which has a great tradition of linebackers, Butkus and Singletary and Bill George invented the position and and so forth and uh, and so on. I think that uh, Tremont Edmonds, because he's a young guy, he could eventually be on that Mount Rushmore with some of those other great linebackers. So you can just cross out Roquan Smith's name and write Edmonds right underneath it. <laughs> there so, you go. <laughs> Smith, I like Smith that. did that one to himself, you know? Indeed. Uh, Vinny, what else uh, have you got coming up uh, at Windy City, uh, the Windy City website about the Bears? You got any ideas on what you're going to be writing about next? Yeah, so today we did three offensive players that they can try to – if they want to add a running back. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if that's something they would be interested before the end of the season because they're going in um, with Deonta Form- Deontay Foreman or um, Khalil rookie, Herbert. And the rookie, Roshan uh, Johnson. Yeah, and Roshan Johnson, who, Aldo, we talked about him right before he was going to be drafted, and then the Bears ended up being the team that got him. We had no clue who was – he could have been a Buffalo Bill or a freaking Miami <laughs> Dolphin. We talked about him at length, though, and he ended up coming to the Bears. I thought that was fun. But, I mean, if they wanted to go do something like that, that's already up. And then I'll probably go look more into in-depth on Ngakwe or Jadeveon Clowney and get stuff like that out there for tomorrow. So that's going to be my Bears. I have one Bears thing coming out tomorrow. Other than that, it's the trade deadline as well. So got the Sox and the Cubs coverage mostly too. But if the Bears – there will be Bears news that comes out tomorrow, so it will be a lot of news. Tons. So tomorrow's – I'm sure you'll be writing about Chase Claypool tomorrow because uh, they like, you know, everyone went into this big, uh, you know, uproar when they announced that he was put on the pup list and they forgot that you're on the pup list. You can be on the pup list for five minutes (laughs) and be taken off. And essentially that's what happened with him. He's on a pup list less than a day or two. And so, um, they're they're going to be talking about Chase Claypool. What did he? What kind of an injury did he suffer? Is he ready to practice and so forth? That could be your lead story uh, tomorrow, Vinny. Absolutely. On DeWindy City, we had a piece about him going on the pup list and mm-hmm. off the pup list that were like twelve hours apart. It was hilarious. How about that? Look at that. <laughs> well, let's just hope that he's ready to practice and get those all important reps because Justin Fields did speak highly of how he saw uh, Chase Claypool uh, at the beginning of OTAs before he suffered an injury and thought that he's really up to speed, knows the playbook really well, and had high expectations. You know, the fact that a matter is that this wide receiver core, if everyone plays to their potential with DJ Moore, we know what he can do. There is no speculation because he has caught 80, 90, 100 passes in his NFL career. And with Chase Claypool, the, the, the promise that he had coming out of Notre Dame, a big tight end type body who can run a 4-4-4-5. And then Darnell Mooney, we know the relationship he's got with Justin Fields, just those three guys alone. And there's depth too, with, and promising depth with Valus Johnson. Yes, he, uh, he had a uh, – Valus Jones, yes, he had a, a, a poor uh, rookie season in terms of holding on to the ball. But nonetheless, the guy has four – point three speed and you can't coach that you, you no matter what you do to a player you can't turn a, a four five guy into a four three guy and so uh even if you get him on some bubble screens and some gadget plays he could be you know a version of Tariq Cohen 
this team is 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 loaded at not loaded that may not be the right word but it's is much more talented at the wide receiver position than it has been in years and then you've got a pass catching tight end that they added Robert Tanyan and the growing chemistry between Cole Komet and Justin Fields they should be able to throw the ball and they got running backs out of the backfield who can catch the ball so this pat you know Justin Fields says uh, I'm going to throw for 4000 yards this season Maybe he feels, you know, he looks at that lineup and says, yeah, I can do it. What do you think, Zim? You think uh, Fields is going to throw for 4,000 yards? Well, I think it's a lot more achievable than a lot of people realize, right? I mean, you can quickly go down this lineup, right? And we look at some of the names on here. So you got, we got DJ Moore, good for 1,000 yards right there. He's a quarter of the way there already. You got Darnell Mooney. We know he's a thousand yard receiver, but we'll be conservative. We'll say 800 yards is probably a realistic attainable number for him as a wide receiver too. Boom. We're Mm -hmm. almost halfway there already. You spread it out across the rest of the wide receivers. You got to figure what another 700 yards between the rest of those guys. We're now at 2,500 yards and we're not even out of the receiving room. Mm -hmm. 2,500 yards to receivers. And that's not even like being ridiculous. That's not being generous. That's saying DJ Moore is DJ Moore. Darnell Mm -hmm. Mooney is Darnell Mooney. And a stable of wide receivers is a stable of NFL wide receivers because they actually are NFL wide receivers this year, something they haven't had in years past. Yeah, We're not going to be rotating the bottom end of this roster. Well, then we got Cole Komet, right? Cole Komet had what last year? 700 yards? Uh, I think it was 700, yeah. Yeah, so 700 yards on like 70 catches, something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, very underrated season from a tight end, honestly. Mm -hmm. And he's on a contract. Yep, yep, So you got Cole Komet good for – Six, seven hundred yards. All right. Now we're up to thirty one hundred yards. Thirty one hundred yards. Keep going down the list. Keep going down the list. We got uh Robert Tanyan now. Figure two hundred yards. I mean, I think that's three hundred. Yeah. He's he's right. he's probably much more of a red zone threat than he is in exactly. between the twenties. So yeah, he won't get the yards, but he'll get the touchdowns. He's going to steal some touchdowns from Komet, and Komet's agent is going to have something to say about that. That's for sure. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and then and then you factor in the running back room, right? We know Dante Foreman can catch the ball. He took over the Christian McCaffrey role out in Carolina last year. Mm-hmm. He easily stepped into that role. Khalil Herbert, he's not really a pass catcher. Roshan Johnson, uh, we have yet to see. Travis Homer, fringe guy, honestly. Do we even know if he's going to make the roster? Tristan Ebner. Do we even know if he's going to make the roster? All right, but we're talking at 3,100 yards. You add in the running backs. We're at 400 yards, we'll say conservatively with the running backs. We're at 3,500 yards on a conservative estimate if all Justin Fields does is play halfway decent quarterback. So Mm -hmm. he's got to come up with 500 yards. If he's the guy that we think he is, right, if he truly is a franchise quarterback, if he is a guy who can take your roster and elevate everybody, Right. Well, 3,500 yards should be easy to elevate up to Mm 4,000. So do I think he can do it? Yeah. Honestly, conservatively speaking, I genuinely think he can so long as he stays healthy and plays 17 games. I'd even give him 15 games to do it, honestly. Yeah. Part of it, Vinny, it also is the defense. You know, if the defense does not play well, then, you know, he's going to be from He could be playing a lot of catch up games where in that third and fourth quarter, he's putting up tons of yards because he's got to throw the ball. You know, I don't I suspect that the defense is going to be much better better than it was in 2022 where they were a sieve in the running game and uh and and the passing game started to deteriorate their past defense started to deteriorate when injuries started to hit the defensive backfield and had a, a lot of young guys 
back there to begin with. So it, there, it is possible that the defense could put Justin Fields in a position where you got to throw it in order to keep us in games. And so that's how perhaps he reaches the 4,000 yards. What do you think, Vin? I think he reaches 4,000 yards of total offense. Mm-hmm. I just – I don't – see him throwing for 4,000 yards. And I, I, I know I'm the, the Debbie Downer of the Bears on the Barroom Network. I'm, you know, I predicted they'd have the worst record in the league last year, but guess what? They and did. you were right. <laughs> so, like, it's not that I'm being an a-hole. I want them to be good so bad. I, I want to have that optimism that I do for the White Sox sometimes, even though that has clearly faded. <laughs> but I, um, I think – he had 2,200 last year. I'm supposed to believe that he's going to double his um, la- total from last year in one offseason because they added DJ Moore and a couple other, like, you know, pretty good weapons, but, like, no bear has ever thrown for 4,000 yards. I also think he's going to scramble and run a lot more. It'll take away passing opportunities for him. Um, do I think 4,000 yards of total offense is attainable? Yeah, I do. But I don't think 4,000 passing yards. I'm thinking like 28 to 3,200 yards passing and then 800 to 1,200 yards rushing, depending on what kind of season he has with injuries and success and, mm-hmm. you know, talent around him. You brought up the defense. The defense plays into offensive statistics more than people will ever realize unless they really take a deep, deep football dive. Um, same thing with special teams, too. Like if they're getting good field position and stuff. That obviously lowers the amount of yards that you could potentially have on a, a touchdown drive, but you know Justin Fields has four thousand yards in his career. I can't, I can't sit here and act like I'm a lock that he's going to double his career output in yards in one season. Well, you say that you're a Debbie Donner, but uh, your predictions usually are correct. You pre- predicted the Bears were going to be the worst team in the NFL last I'm season. I'm good at football. And, like, I love football. I love it. I sit down on my ass and eat chicken wings and nachos every single Sunday. <laughs> I'm so fat. It's crazy how much I love football. But baseball and hockey are just a tick above it in terms of, like, my life work and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suck I would- predicting those. I have no damn clue what the hell is going to happen in hockey or baseball. And I won the guillotine league in football. I make these predictions. I win football bets. I'm like above 500 in football in my life. Um, I had the Super Bowl matchup right last year from preseason. I, it's just if I get right in football way more than any other sport. How about that? And I'm not proud of it because it's just always me saying the Bears suck and then they suck and I look right. Well, on Crosstown Crosstalk, your uh, Thursday afternoon baseball show, you listed the most disappointing teams uh, for 2023, and I'm going to reveal who number one was, the Chicago White Sox. (laughs) No shot there. I had had the Cardinals at two, correct? Yeah, you had the Cardinals at number two. You had the Mariners at three. You had the Guardians, Guardians at four, and then the Yankees at five. Freaking Cub, Cub fans had to love that list, right? Like, you got the White Sox. <laughs> you got the Cardinals. Okay, they're two biggest rivals in each league. Yep. The team you beat in the World Series, who you probably have, like, you know, you like seeing them fail now. Mm-hmm. And then the Yankees, who everyone hates. So the Cubs fans just probably loved that list. Well, you're welcome, Cubs fans. Don't ever say I don't do anything for you. Mm-hmm. 
Well, guys, uh, thank you for allowing me to disrupt the show. We're not going to do some of our weekly features here. Uh, it's It's been a thrill talking baseball and Bears and with Mike North with you guys. You guys deliver it every Monday night. This is an important show in the Barroom Network franchise. Uh, the only thing that can make the show better is if the White Sox were to win some fun baseball games. <laughs> That's it. That's all we need. <laughs> um, there will be a Vinny explosion on the Barroom Network. I don't know when it is. I just feel like it's all in. I haven't done put on your socks really much this season. I've just mm-hmm. been kind of. I have tweeted a lot less about them. I've been holding it in. It's coming though. Keep it's holding. Coming. That'll be a, the bigger explosion, right, Zim? Let it out. <laughs> I, I can't right now. I'm still. I'm like a week removed from being pretty sick, or two weeks removed, and I still feel a couple of the residual effects. But like, it's coming. So I'll ask both of you guys this. You first, Vinny. How would you feel if next Monday when uh, Joe is back and you guys are talking the White Sox and you guys are talking about the White Sox having swept the Chicago Cubs and the Guardians six games in a row, how would you feel? Do you feel like, yeah, I'm not falling for that trap again? Or wait a minute, maybe, maybe there's some hope here. Zim, you could go first. Yeah, as soon as I woke up, I would probably try to figure out what just happened uh, because there's no way that's happening unless you're in dreamland because, no, I wouldn't buy in at all. You can you can ask these guys on the show. I was getting crapped on the first half of last season for telling everybody the White Sox suck. This is over. We've been let on. We've been deceived. We've been bamboozled. And these guys are like, no, no, no. Wait till the all star break. Look, they're making a comeback. Steve, you're such a downer. Steve, come on. Come on, guys. I'm like, nope. This team's going right down the crapper. Yeah, if and, the Sox uh, sweep the... No, I won't buy in at all. Yeah, if the Sox sweep the Cubs and the Guardians, I'll turn off my Xbox. Oh. Uh, that means that means, uh, <laughs> that means I was playing the show. That means I was playing MLB the show, and I swept the Cubs and the Guardians, and it's time to go to bed because video games are unrealistic, and they give you false hope. Um <laughs> The A's won seven in a row this season. They have a seven-game winning streak back when I think it was early June or mid-June, mm-hmm. and the A's don't even have 30 wins yet. They're one of the few teams worse than the White Sox record-wise. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I would just tell myself, like, yeah, every team does that. They could win if they won seven in a row, or I, it would be six in a row, the two against the Cubs and then the four against the Guardians, they would still be a whopping 13 games under five hundred. That's just so sad. So it's it's not – they're 19 under right now, guys. They're so 12 and a half games out. I, I think it's 12. Now I don't look at the standings for the Central every day. I actually, I check the NL West standings way more. That division's my favorite division in baseball. But It's fun. It's a it fun division. so fun. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. Like the worst team in the division or the second worst team is the Padres, and they have the mm-hmm. most fun lineup, so they're still fun. Yeah. So like I'm, I love that division. It's great. I'm going to see Diamondbacks Rockies in a few weeks, man. Hell I'm, yeah. I'm pumped about it. Corbin That's, Carroll, that kid's electric. Yes, let's go. Awesome. I'm pumped to hear about that. So yeah, no faith in the White Sox. Sell, sell, sell. Try again. Sell, sell, sell. All right. That's a good comment to leave this episode of South Burbs Hitman. I want to wish uh, Joe and his wife the very best. Safe travels back home. He will be back here. Uh 
next Monday night with the guys, Vinny and Zem on South Burps Hitman. You can see me. When's the next time I'm on? Uh, let's see. I think it's uh, Wednesday afternoon with uh Greg Gabriel will be breaking down everything that's going on at Hallis Hall with uh, player interviews and so forth. So we'll have that at 11 a.m. Usually the Dan and Aldo show is Tuesday night, but we're moving it to Thursday night to accommodate our guest, former Chicago Bears wide receiver Devin Aromashadu is going to join us. And so we'll have some fun with that. You'll see Vinny on Thursday afternoon, Crosstown Crosstalk. And uh, anything else to promote, guys? Yeah, Wednesday bar down too. Don't forget oh. ho- hockey still. Worse. Hockey's slowing down. It's at a dead stop, but Frank and I have a couple fun debates. Uh we have our Mount Rushmores for our each other's favorite teams yep. coming on Wednesday. So I'm very much looking nice. forward to that. That'll be fun. It yeah. will be fun. Yes. Yeah. I, I can't I, wait to tell him why Duncan Keith was actually the most important player to the 2010s Hawks. Uh, I I don't think anybody would argue with you on that, honestly. Yeah, There's a I case think, to be made. Yeah, you, I mean, you got a really good case there, uh, but it'll be an interesting debate. I, I can't wait to see that one. And yes, that is Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central, Bardon Hockey Talk with Frank Mueller and, of course, Vinny Parisi. And then not, not only is the hockey talk good, but when you guys get into pop culture and talk about the movies, uh, did, Vinny, did you go see the Barbie movie? I did go see the Barbie movie. <laughs> did you do and the Barbenheimer? I didn't do Barbenheimer, but my hope is to have seen Oppenheimer by Wednesday so I could talk about that too and writing up a little review on each movie for the show. It's funny. The third nice. period is about Barbenheimer. The show's already written. So, yeah, that'll be good stuff. Love it. Love it. I'll be tuning in. I'm, Vinny, I'm hoping to see it uh, uh, tomorrow night so I can talk to Dan about it on Thursday. Go ahead, Zim. Do, do you think I'll understand Oppenheimer if I don't go see Barbie first? <laughs> um, I, I don't think... <laughs> That's great. <laughs> the funniest question I've ever been asked. No, I don't think so. You need to know what happens to Ken at the end of the movie. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, Robert Downey Jr.'s character will just make no sense whatsoever. <laughs> uh foster uh says come on cubs are rolling but Sox will take two out of three from the cubs only two game series foster so uh redo that by the way i like foster's predictions here 2400 for the wide receivers that's definitely doable 900 from the tight ends that's doable 700 from the running backs that's the one that could be tricky that's a lot yes based on what we know of these players and um you know, like you mentioned, Zim, Khalil Herbert is not a pass-catching running back, and he really needs to improve that part of his game. And when we had uh, Brad Biggs on Gabriel Talks Football recently, he said keep an eye on Treston Ebner because they drafted him to be a cast pass catching running back and so he didn't get much of a chance last year he says he Tristan Ebner is one of the running backs to keep an eye on in in, in training camp plus people are saying well you know how's he going to fit how is he going to make the team Brad Biggs is saying there's a chance they might make a trade for one of their running backs because they're stacked with uh with guys uh, Travis Homer the guy they signed from the from the Seahawks, he's an excellent uh, pass yes. blocking tight uh, running back. So, a very good, uh, very good special teamer. Very yep. good in like punk coverage, especially. Yep. So you know he's going to make the team. And so Deontay Foreman does not 
play special teams. And if Roshan Johnson is your heir apparent to be the number one running back, do you want him playing uh, special teams? I don't, so it's going to be interesting decisions. A lot of fun stuff, and we'll be here at the Barroom Network to debate, discuss, and celebrate, hopefully. If I'll end on this. If Fields ends up getting the 4,000 yards and he's pushing 5,000 yards of total offense, he's right there with Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow for the MVP of the league and Jalen Hurts. Mm. And, I mean, there's just no way he's not in that conversation if we're talking those types of numbers. So I see a fan-sided article. Three reasons Justin Fields – three ways Justin Fields can make MVP this season by Vinny Parisi. I like that. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get you a lot of clicks. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. You guys are the absolute best. This was a lot of fun for me. So uh, any final words? Uh, any shout outs? Shout out to you, Aldo. Thank you very much for being the yes. director and producer of today's show. It was very, very fun. Shout out Mike North. It was a very fun time having you on the show. And shout out to my girlfriend, Katie, and my family for always supporting. Love you guys. Indeed. Zim? Yeah, thank you, Aldo, for being on with us tonight. Uh, I, I, we could have done it without you, but it wouldn't have been nearly as good. So <laughs> we, we appreciate you coming on, helping us out, filling in admirably for the only Joe Mandel that we have. Uh, looking forward to having him back, though, because the show's just not quite the same without him. So I hope he's having a blast out in New York. He's been sending me pictures of his whole trip. It looks like he's having a blast. He'll have lots of stories to tell us next week, I'm sure. Can't wait to listen. All right, everybody, for uh, Vinny, Zim, and for Joe Mandel, I'm Aldo Gandia, and for Mike North. Take care, everybody. Thank you.